Welcome to Forever White Belt. I'm your host, Adolfo Ferranda. Today on the show, I have Joshua Janis. Josh is a black belt under John Friedland and an instructor at the Pedro Sauer Affiliated Neutral Ground Academy in Milwaukee, Wisconsin. This is the perfect episode for those of you with an open mind. Josh's perspective on playful BJJ, the guillotine, Wim Hof, cold exposure, breathing for BJJ, and personal growth are intriguing and inspiring. I think his brand of BJJ has the possibility of tremendous growth and scale. As he states, it's not for everyone, but I do think it's quite possibly for the silent majority. Just a reminder to please give us a five-star review on iTunes and share this podcast with a friend. It really helps us out. And leave us feedback and suggestions at anchor.fm forward slash forever white belt. Also, like our Facebook page to get all the latest updates and see some of the videos that correspond to the various episodes at facebook.com forward slash forever white belt. And check us out on Instagram at forever white belt show. The post new year sale is on. So go buy our forever white belt swag at cost at teespring.com forward slash forever dash white dash belt. And with that, I give you Joshua Janice. Josh, thanks so much for being on the show, man. I've been really looking forward to this and I'm psyched to talk to you. Thank you. I'm looking forward to it as well. Josh, where I first met you or was introduced to your whole thing was I saw something on my calendar at the 2021 Arizona BJJ Globetrotters camp and there was something on there called painless guillotines. And also there was a an anaconda choke class as well. In addition to that, there was also Wim Hof breathing. So there's a whole lot going on here. And I was intrigued by all of it because just the word painless, number one, really resonated with me. So I, I knew I had to see what this and who is this guy and what is he up to? And anyways, I was very intrigued and I very much enjoyed what you had going on there. Good. I'm happy that you enjoyed it. So Josh, can you tell me your philosophy of jujitsu? My philosophy on jujitsu I want to preface it by saying it's not for everyone, but to be honest with you, I think it's for most people because most people are hobbyists. Most people are training jiu-jitsu one, two, three times a week, right? Like they're not going five times a week, twice a day. That's the majority of people. And frankly, if we train, like we're going to be in the world championships every day and we, even if we go one, two, three times a week, that's really going to beat up our body. And my brand of jiu-jitsu, or at least how I view jiu-jitsu is painless, precise, and playful. Let's be precise so we're not hurting our training partner. Let's be playful so we're taking in as much information as we can. And let's make sure that it's painless because ultimately you and I have to go to work in the morning, right? Like we're not professional athletes that get to train, recover, and and do all that. So we got to take care of each other. It's not about, can I crush this guy's esophagus. So he taps because it really hurts. And then he can't, you know, it hurts to drink out of a straw for the next three days or he has robo neck. So playful, precise, and painless is kind of the the brand of jujitsu that I prefer. I love it. I think you nailed it because you do realize, and I'm glad you brought that up, that you are targeting what I call the majority of jujitsu practitioners out there because those of us are hobbyists for the vast, vast majority. And then additionally, for your older players like myself, this really could benefit your game as well. Smaller individuals have to go with big people and big people that have to go with small people to learn how to roll properly, if you will. But additionally, as sort of you touched on, you know that you're going to get those people that are going to roll their eyes, right? And just cast doubts initially, right? 
Well, it does happen. And I appreciate that because they're coming from a space of, you know, difference. Maybe they wrestled in high school and wrestling has a different culture. But I think the culture of wrestling is why you don't see a ton of 40-year-olds in wrestling clubs, right? right? Like, because you try to win every time. I think the beauty of jujitsu is if we appreciate it in the way that I'm suggesting, it's that we learn every time. And it makes a big difference on our body. That's not to say that we don't want to progress. That's not to say that we don't want to get better. It's to say that we also want to take care of our body. And we also know that it's not sustainable to treat every day like we're in a world's camp. What did your beginnings of jujitsu look like? And then additionally, I noticed that you started in 2000, but you had big breaks, meaning breaks in time kind of reminds me of your white belt five-year experience reminds me of mine in some extent in terms of that time evolution. Can you tell me about those? Yeah, absolutely. So I started my first introduction to Brazilian jiu-jitsu was at an MMA school run by Dave Strasser, who was a former UFC vet. He fought in a couple UFCs, like UFC 12. I mean, this is going back. 2000. So he had some decent wrestling and some novice jujitsu, but significantly more than me walking in. And I did that for about seven months in my freshman year in college, which was back in 2000. And then every once in a blue moon, I'd stop back in. But realistically, I took about three and a half years off. Then because I'm such an excellent student back in college, when I transferred to uh, University of Wisconsin-Milwaukee, they offered Brazilian jujitsu for credit, which is awesome. So I did that. I said, well, if I can get a credit for this, it sounds great. So I did that. And so that was going twice a week, you know, during the school year. And I think I took two semesters of that, if I'm not mistaken. And then after that, I kind of got a little bit of a knee injury. But in that space, I found my instructor, John Friedland, and he opened up his school in 2007. And I've been with him ever since. So it's been a kind of a long journey. I only did no gi in the beginning because I was an athletic guy and it seemed like the gi stopped me from winning. I didn't have much wisdom when I was younger. (laughs) And so the gi stopped me from being able to use my athleticism. And so I only did no gi and I did own a gi, but very, very rarely would I put it on. So that limited the amount of times per week that I could train. So I was only training once or twice a week from like, like I said, the end of 2006, 2007 to the January of 2010. And then in 2010, I decided that I was going to put on a gi and I was going to train gi and no gi. And then it started three days a week, then four days a week, then five days a week. And uh, I'm pretty well addicted now. So I'm curious, how did you learn the skill of teaching? So uh, practice, just like anything, I suppose, in my career, because jujitsu isn't my career. In my previous career, I owned a bunch of bar restaurants and I had quite a few employees. So I had to speak in front of those employees. And so that was practice. The confidence that I learned in jujitsu allowed me to have confidence as I speak. And as I grew into my second career now with My Odyssey, which is company culture and personal habits, When you're dealing with a CEO or VP of sales or somebody like that, you can never tell them anything. People, you know, they've gained a level of success, so it's very hard for them to want to hear things. However, if you can convey with the tone of your voice, with your body language, with your energy, a certain point, they seem to get it much better. Mm -hmm. And so when I coach, I try to take the time to scan the room, right? Like, did what I say just land or did it go over a lot of people's heads? And because I listen, if I was, you know, on camera, air quotes, because I listen while I'm doing these seminars or doing these classes, 
I think I get instant feedback on whether it hit or not, and then I can take it a different direction if it didn't, or I can just stop and not overload if it did. In terms of developing teams and leadership, and, and what I've found that at its core, you can't really change people. They have to change themselves, although you can sort of encouragement, but you have to get them to that point where they want to change themselves. Do you find that transitions to jujitsu because learning is learning? It does. So it, it depends on the scenario, right? Like hmm. if, you know, a friend drags somebody else along for one class, like that's a pretty difficult person to teach to, right? Because sure. they may not want to be there. At a Globe Trotters camp, it's wonderful because I already have everybody's attention wholeheartedly. And, you know, I have this stage, just like I, if I was a performer, I have this stage that people are there to particularly see me at that time, right? They've made the choice to do that. And so once they've made the choice to do that, it's easy to you know convey that message, I think. Mm-hmm. So, so was there anything that you wanted to make sure you did not institute in your teaching? You know, I think the way that I interpret your question would be, what don't I like about teaching that I've learned or I've seen others do, right? Because for me, I don't like when instructors say, this is how you do something. Mm. Because Adolfo, you and I, actually, we have relatively similar body types, but there's a lot of different body types out there, right? There's 300 pound 5'8 guy, there's 145, 6'2 guy, there's 125 pound female. There's a lot of different body types that are out there. And to say, just do this, like all I have to do is do this. Well, what does that even mean for those different people? Mm-hmm. And so for me, I teach the class in a way that I say, hopefully they understand that I have a certain body type. And I do say that I'm built this certain way. This works for me. However, if you're not getting it, if you can't get your arm to this particular position or your hips won't move in this position, or you think it requires a certain amount of flexibility, that's all okay. Let me try to work with you to figure it out, right? Mm-hmm. Like every body type's different. That doesn't mean that the principles change. So we just got to figure out different methods to get to that principle. Mm-hmm. So long-winded answer, it's challenging when I hear somebody say, just do this. And then when they can't do this for whatever reason, they just kind of give up on it or whatever. Right. That's to me, not cool. <laughs> I agree. There's something whenever I hear never do this, or you should never do this. There's always something in the back of my head saying, you know, jujitsu is not binary. Yeah. What is that? Superlative? Like always and never? Is that the word? Yeah. Like just don't always and never like almost always my response to, well, if this happens, then should I do this? Or what's the best thing? Mm -hmm. I say, well, it depends. (laughs) My students hear me say it depends just constantly because it does. It really, like there's so much information that could go into this thing. It depends. Well, what are we trying to do? Your advice to those wanting to start teaching or coaching (laughs) jujitsu? Listen. Yeah. My advice to anybody trying to get to anything is listen, I'm on this podcast as a guest. Therefore, I am talking like this is my spot in this particular role. That being said, if we didn't have that role and you're talking to me about you know, your career or your jujitsu or whatever, I would listen more because I get information, right? And I can process that information and maybe give you the best answer. You don't need to know all the answers. I don't know the answers. I, I spent years and years perfecting a guillotine and I still find a ton of stuff that I'm like, what is this? And, and there's always information. And if I wasn't open to that information, then how am I going to get any better? So I think the first thing to be a leader, to be a coach, to be anything is learn how to listen and learn how to develop empathy for your students that are struggling. 
That is one thing I noticed about you. You're always listening and listening deeply. I can see your eyes almost get twice the size sometimes <laughs> when students uh, were asking you at camp or I approached you and asked you something. You really did seem to pause and digest it in a way that a lot of people I don't feel typically do. Mm. You said the right verb there. I don't feel like mm. my goal when I communicate is to transfer energy. So uh, that sounds really hippie-ish, but I find it to be very true. When somebody's asking me a question, I want them to feel that I'm listening. And to do that, I have to be listening. <laughs> so I'm glad that that was the feeling that you got. And the way that you said it is, I think, appropriate for what I'm trying to do and what I consistently work on touching on hippie-ish possibly, is yeah. your training outside of jujitsu. As you sort of alluded to earlier, yourself and myself, we are not these roided out giant bicep individuals. So I'm curious what sort of modalities help you. Tell me about your breath work and how it relates to your jujitsu and what other modalities do you incorporate that may or may not benefit your jujitsu that you've tried? You know, Adolfo, speak for yourself. I feel like my guns are pretty swole. <laughs> <laughs> Definitely not. So you had brought up Wim Hof at the beginning of it. The Wim Hof method has been a pretty integral part of my life for six to eight years. I don't really have a starting point. It's not like I have belts to help me go. Three to five times a week, I do the full Wim Hof method where I'm doing breathing. I'm lucky enough to have a hot tub in the condo that I'm in. So I go hot tub to ice bath. So I do kind of a, a full circle of that, and I find it to be incredible. The breathing turns on your mind. I use it as a meditation. If you ever hear me or you come to one of my Wim Hof Method classes, I say, this is my relationship with it. People's relationships with it are very, very different, but I view it as a meditation because the breath hold facet of it, that's where I find the highest level of peace. So I use the Wim Hof Method as like a meditation. And of course, the cold also helps with the inflammation of just my body from jiu-jitsu. I do lift-ish sometimes when I'm feeling fat. <laughs> You know, and I used to lift a ton when I was younger, but my elbows are just kind of awful now. But yeah, the Wim Hof method and the Brazilian Jiu Jitsu are really the end meditation. I, I do mantra meditation. Every once in a blue moon, I'll do guided meditation. I do breathing exercises, that kind of stuff. I'm a huge proponent of diaphragmic breathing. I was wrapping all that up into the Wim Hof method of in my head. So that's why I didn't say that originally. The Wim Hof class that you'd had put together for the BJJ Globetrotters camp was really fascinating. It was the first time I'd experienced anything like that before. It was, in, correct me, just overall from a high level, what, 30 seconds, deep breathing in, deep breathing out continuously. Then I believe there was an exhale at the end and yep. then a holding of breath yep. for as long as possible. Yep. So 30 deep diaphragmic breaths, approximately. Oh, We're not yeah, we're not trying to like, it doesn't have to be 30. We're just trying to, to steal as much oxygen as we can from our environment. And we are trying to breathe in a correct manner. So like a diaphragmic breathing is pretty well known as belly breathing. It feels like your belly is expanding first. So that's kind of the goal. If you can breathe through your nose, if you're lucky enough to be able to do that, you should. But realistically, just breathe. And then like you said, we're going to hyper-oxygenate our body. And on the approximately 30th breath, we're going to exhale. And then we're going to hold on that exhale. That's the gist of the Wim Hof method. 
Initially, what was fascinating was the participants could hold that breath for X amount of time. And then when we went through the process again, those same individuals could hold their breath even longer. Now, mentally, there seems to be, and maybe even biologically as well, there seems to be a struggle in the sense that your body or something, you want to breathe. You want to get that oxygen back in. Some people experience tingles with a certain amount of time, which is really interesting, like body-wide. I was feeling all of this stuff. Can you talk about that process Yeah, absolutely. So what I find is that if I'm doing one of these classes, the average person ends up holding their breath for 30 seconds longer than they did. So I try to set a baseline and I say, hold your breath in any way you want, right? Like exhale, inhale, whatever. It doesn't really matter to me. Hold your breath and then you kind of get an average of what that is. But most people, if they're in pretty healthy shape, can hold their breath for 30 to 40 seconds, 45 seconds, somewhere in there. Those people tend to then improve by about 30 seconds after three rounds of the Wim Hof breathing and holding their breath on the exhale. As far as the tingles, and actually, I'll address the big elephant in the room is your body feeling like it needs to breathe, which, you know, I I don't blame your body because it does need to breathe at a certain point. But the nice thing about it is you get an opportunity to take control of something in your body and say, you know what, I know I don't need it right now. I'm going to wait five seconds, one second, 10 seconds, or I know this feeling, I'm comfortable with this feeling, the anxiety of having to breathe, overcoming that anxiety, all these things are super valuable in life, just like jujitsu, right? Somebody's got you in side control, you're getting smashed. The first time that happens, you might have tapped, right? You can't breathe or whatever the case may be. Now it's mildly annoying. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Still want to get out of there, but it's mildly annoying. And as you press what it is you thought that you needed, it's just a tool to open up a door for you in life. When he says holding breath, when we traditionally think of holding a breath, it's you take a deep inhale and you hold that breath. This right. is the complete reverse. You're exhaling what feels is completely, and then you're holding that breath. It's a very different experience. If you're going for breath holds and you're a deep diver, it's not the best way to do it. If you're in a meditative state and you're at peace and you're laying on the ground or you found a comfortable chair, it's pretty practical. There's the breath hold. People get like caught up in like the time or how long it is. To me, Mm -hmm. it's just moments of meditation and peace. Now, you mentioned you do this before rolling. How does this benefit that? For me, anecdotally, it just completely changed my jujitsu. The ability to diaphragmic breathe. A lot of people's experiences is like, I don't know what, whatever it is at at your home dojo, they might have three minute rolls, five minute rolls, seven minute rolls, 10 minute rolls, whatever. You're pretty tired. Maybe after two or three rolls, if your school does five minute rolls and you go to one that's seven, you're like, oh my gosh, I'm dead after five or I need to sit out one. Once you get a hold of your breathing and you breathe diaphragmically, jujitsu becomes so much more fun because you can move so much more. Your muscles don't get tired as much. Your muscles need oxygen and you're supplying it in a more effective way. So you're prepping your body. I do this before jujitsu, not every day, but I did for probably a year and a half where I did it every day before jujitsu. It really allowed me to go from a place where I was struggling to be on the mats half the time. Like I wasn't even rolling that hard to just now I could do a two hour globe trotter open mat. Not to mention I have allergies induced asthma. I'm allergic to a lot and diaphragmic breathing and forcing myself to breathe through my nose when I can has really, really helped that as well. That's right. You mentioned you have difficulty breathing through your nose too, right? Yeah. Yeah. I've broken it a few times and I haven't had surgery on it. If you looked at me closely, you can see a beautiful banana bend. 
<laughs> and uh, yet you can days. still do all this breath work, which is interesting. Sure. Yeah. It, you know, Wim Hof says it nicely in a lot of his videos and instructionals. Just breathe. Just get that diaphragmic breathing. Do it for 10 seconds. If you're listening right now, focus on your diaphragm and just belly breathe for the next 10 seconds. And that's a great start. Do it in another hour for another 10 seconds and work your way up. So when you belly breathe or breathe during rolling, the suggestion is to breathe through your nose? If you can, absolutely. If you can, Hmm. because I can't sometimes. Hmm. If you can, yes. Yeah, it's hyper important. So there's a, a book that I would suggest if you haven't read it by James Nestor. It's called Breathe. And he goes into how important it is to breathe through your nose and how bad we are at it as a society. It's quite interesting. Let's get into the jujitsu itself. You mentioned guillotine earlier. What is your go-to guard sweep and submission? (laughs) I don't care so much about guards anymore. It's kind of an interesting evolution as I've Mm -hmm. kind of dived into preet stuff, defensive jujitsu. I just want to create any and all scrambles because Mm -hmm. I feel like in scrambles, my processor is going to work faster than your processor, or at least that's the idea. Sometimes Mm -hmm. not. So I don't set on half guard, butterfly guard, Z guard, and like different forms that you may see from those positions. Maybe we end up there in the scramble. Maybe we don't. It just doesn't particularly matter to me because there's not a place where I feel uncomfortable. Then what do you wish you were better at? Closed guard. (laughs) (laughs) No, I I don't. I don't actually, because I think closed guard kills hip mobility of the person who's closing the guard around somebody because you got a mass with your legs spread open that you're, you know, that's just not, you have to open your guard really to move at all. Yeah. And so it doesn't really make sense. So I guess to answer your first question, uh, my favorite submission is guillotine just because of years and years. I have two fanatics videos on guillotine years and years of exploring the depth of the submission. So I appreciate that. Favorite position is anyone that I don't have to carry anybody else's weight. So I like being on top. And then what I'm better at, I everything. Literally, the vastness of jujitsu is so overwhelming at times that it makes me excited. Like you said, I'm not trying to be cocky, but I do feel like I'm a good instructor and I, I know a bunch. Of, but man, I often am reminded of how little I know. <laughs> like It's absolutely fascinating. And, and it's such, that's why it's such a beautiful sport. You mentioned guillotines. Let's talk about that particular technique in general and how you teach it. There was a lot of key phrases that stuck with me. One was wet noodle. One was elbows back, weight on the head, these different sort of touchstones. Can you expand on your guillotine technique? Yeah. I mean, you nailed a bunch of the main points. So thank you for listening and being involved in the class because you know, after a certain amount of time, it's hard to remember that kind of stuff. So thank you for that. So the way that I view a guillotine, I try to make it very simple. What we're doing is we're putting something underneath the jaw, perpendicular to the jaw. We're just making contact with it. Once we have that something, because it can be any part of the arm, it could be like a gogoplata, it could be a chin, it could be a baseball bat, whatever it is, Mm -hmm. we're putting something there. And then we're breaking the posture down over that something in a precise way. And that's it. Everything else So that's what we're doing to strangle. Everything else, every little complexity that we add is to stop the defense of the other person. So if you didn't move and you just sat there and I put something underneath your jaw, perpendicular jaw, and I took your head and I broke it down in a precise way, you would tap or go to sleep. But you don't want me to do that. So then it just becomes a game of complexity of how you're stopping that and how I'm answering. 
So if I'm trying to verbalize, you know, the, the main key points, like you said, is I teach it, my very basic guillotine, I'm sitting next to the person and then the person is in turtle. So I'm not even engaging my legs, which is very, very different from how other people, you know, I'm not trying to get full guard and then pull their head off like a dandelion. I'm sitting next to the person, armpit on the back of the head. My strangle arm is coming through perpendicular jaw. I'm catching that hand as high as I can on my chest. The secondary hand, the non-strangle hand is just there as a helper hand, just holding that hand. And then, like you said, I'm bringing my elbow back home. The farther your elbow gets away from your body, the worse it is almost always. Okay, it gets a lot, lot weaker when it's away from your body. So we just want to bring that elbow back home. And once we have that, then we use our weight to compress down. And then, you know, everyone always wants to, as you alluded to, and I often hear it too, the wet noodle uh, description, you just want to shoot that arm in through so hard and just wrap that sucker down because it just seems like a fleeting moment. You're going to lose it and you just want to flex. (laughs) Yeah. You know, think about when somebody does that to you. Do you like that? <laughs> yeah, absolutely not. No. <laughs> yeah. So, you know, why do that to somebody else when we know that we don't like it? You know, I say wet noodle because then if we need it, we have it in our back pocket, right? But if we go in and we're super flexed out already, well, we have already played that card and they're still okay, mm-hmm. right? So keep that strength in your back pocket. All you need is a, a connection, a precise connection, understanding how the head is being broken down and how those arteries are being attacked. Additionally, how does the anaconda play into this as well? Yeah. So anaconda and darces are similar. So in a movie, you may have seen like an Indiana Jones, they get trapped in a room and like one wall is closing in on them. Yeah. (laughs) That's kind of what's happening in an anaconda and a darce, right? So you're setting the hip side arm that's got to have contact in the right way, but you're setting that and then that's going to be like the wall that doesn't move. Mm -hmm. And then your other side arm, which is on the head or the body is on the head, whatever else is compressing into that. And so the space in which the neck has to survive gets smaller and smaller and smaller. But you need that compression. What people tend to do is in an anaconda, the head moves off the body and then you lose the ability to really compress. In a darce, they'll squeeze and we hit the muscles on the side of the neck as opposed to the arteries breaking mm-hmm. down into the precise position. So once that's set, either the anaconda or the darce, then it's just a matter of how we break down that posture into the strangle. Now, everyone, we will have some videos on uh, our Facebook page to describe what Josh has available. He has quite a bit, actually. You have your YouTube channel, and then the Globetrotter stuff is great. And then BJJ Fanatics actually has some free video clips as well Gosh. of your stuff. I would definitely- Don't get me, start- Don't get me started on those clips. <laughs> <laughs> they took the most random clips in like- ah. Like in the middle of describing something of like, I don't know why they would pick those clips. I do actually have like a, and I don't have it as a a free thing, but with Gentle Art Lifestyle, which is my brand, I do some camps and then it's an online school and I have lessons each week for the people that are in my online school. It's in addition to being able to grapple for people that have small clubs or don't have big schools or don't really, or maybe their schools run by a purple belt or something of that nature. So I do have additional lessons, and but you can find so much guillotine stuff from me online, certainly. And then once you get into the Darce and Anaconda, there's, I think there may be one relatively good video on that, but you can always message me and I don't really, I'll share anything. I love jujitsu. That's awesome. Very interesting. I'm eager to learn more about that. Speaking of cool stuff that you do, I know, I believe you just finished up something called Fire and Water Camp. Can you tell us overall, what is that? What did it offer and your takeaways? 
Oh my gosh. So it's one of my camps. So my BJJ brand, like I said, is Gentle Art Lifestyle. And it's, so it's one of the camps that I put on and it's here in Milwaukee, Wisconsin. And it is a combination of Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu and Wim Hof breathing method. The beautiful advantage that we have being in Milwaukee, Wisconsin in December is that we have a beautiful Lake Michigan, mm-hmm. which is really cold. So we go into Lake Michigan and here's kind of the schedule. We learned about Wim Hof breathing and, and did a class on that in the morning. Then we did three hours of jujitsu seminars by excellent coaches. Charles Harriet was in, um, John Friedland, four stripe black belt under Pedro, my instructor, was doing it. Three hours of jujitsu, two hours of open mat slash lunch, then another hour and a half of jujitsu. And then we went to the lake. We had a huge bonfire ready and we went, we did some breathing at the lake and then we went into the lake. In Adolfo, it was crazy. <laughs> <laughs> Because by the time we got there and got most people there, it was dark. And the lake, Lake Michigan is not like a random little lake. If you didn't know Lake Michigan, it looks like an ocean. Did not expect basically a riptide as we're in freezing cold water. Man, we survived. So I'm happy, you know, but it was quite the experience. That being said, the response that I got was phenomenal. I had I'm going to quick give you three of the responses I got. One, a female that went in was so inspired by her courage going in. This is how I interpret it, Mm -hmm. that she goes, rah, like she felt so empowered as she's walking out. It was absolutely incredible to see that emotion come out. Mm -hmm. And then she started crying. She's like, I didn't know that this was there. I don't know why this wonderful, wonderful experience. Number two, a gentleman who was in the military who had a very bad experience with cold, like had kind of a, from what I understood, like a war zone type thing where they're left in the cold and it was very frightening and not a great experience for him. He went in the water, came out and about a half an hour later, you could see he was just like taking everything in. And he told me that story about how it was so empowering for him to be able to do that because he's been afraid of anything cold ever since that time. And this just was a step for him in the right direction. Again, really heartfelt, really great. And last but not least, there was a gentleman who had lost somebody to a cold river. He fell in a cold river and had passed away, a good friend of his. And he stayed he stayed the hell away from cold water and anything after that, understandably. And he got in and he was just, again, empowered. He's like, I, I didn't think that I could do this. He didn't say this, but I could see that he was proud of himself for overcoming what settled in as a large fear in his life. Mm-hmm. And that coupled with excellent jujitsu training, a lot of times on the mats, the bond that you get with people, you know, at the Globetrotters camp, the bond that you get with people when you go through these mutually shared experiences of a lot of jujitsu, in this case, jumping in Lake Michigan in the middle of December, it's just something special. Mm -hmm. And this sounded much more intimate. Yeah. So the max we had was 30. And then because of the weather, a couple of people couldn't make it. So we ended up having like 24 for this. And so, yeah, it was more intimate, you know. We have one coming up in February. It's going to be similar size. It's going to be a little bit bigger because I don't think those people are going to, hopefully it doesn't have a Mm -hmm. snowstorm. I was going to say much (laughs) colder in February too. Man, February 19th and 20th. So it's kind of a crapshoot. It could be minus 10. It could be 50. (laughs) Yikes. (laughs) <laughs> yeah. And now that I've learned that there could be like essentially riptides, I'm going to be a little bit more careful of where we go mm-hmm. in. <laughs> I've kind of learned my lesson, but the combination of the two seemed to really be powerful for people. And in Arizona, the Wim Hof method, I had a guy come up to me, he said he hasn't slept in years and he tried breathing right before he slept and he slept like a baby. 
That's right. Uh, another military guy that like the cold exposure was great for his anxiety. I mean, it's just wonderful. And, and the combination of the two really seemed to be powerful. So I'm, I'm happy to be able to put that forth. So it sounds like you got a lot out of this as well, or you get a lot out of the fire and water camps as well. I get a lot of, out of every camp. I, I'm just so blessed and lucky to be able to do these camps. I get to meet so many different people from across the world, literally, that I wouldn't have the opportunity to spend time with, or maybe I wouldn't because they, you know they're shy or whatever. Mm-hmm. And I get the opportunity to teach something that I love in the way that I think is appropriate. Uh, and I shouldn't say that was a bad way. That would indicate that others are inappropriate. And I don't want to do that in a way that I feel passionate about. And I get to bond with these people that I, I wouldn't have in another sense. So it's really awesome. Can you give me your thoughts on the uh, future of how you see jujitsu going? In what context? Like um, a competition and that and and maybe even where you would like to see it go. You know, how are you trying to sort of shape it as well? I'm trying to shape it in a way that jujitsu is a strong tool to improve people's lives. Each class that you take, I think, should be an opportunity for you to learn something about yourself, an opportunity to bond with others. And I think that is the goal of jujitsu as I would like to practice it. If you're talking about competition, damn, these guys are good. You know, I get the chance to roll with some high-level people, and I'm not so bad at jujitsu too. And just the combination of athleticism, the adoption of all sorts of different ways of looking at it, the creativity, it's just an amazing sport. And still some like really simple stuff that, that works. Like I was mm-hmm. grappling with Charles this weekend, and I thought, oh, I'm going to take his back. I, you know, I, I worked so hard to get to this position. And then he just stood up. <laughs> and totally threw, like he added a different dimension into how we were grappling. He didn't accept something. He mm-hmm. he just literally stood up out of it. And I'm like, damn, man, like it's so simple, so beautiful, and so <laughs> frustrating. <laughs> you know, I often say it on the show, it's amazing. We we've seen the fruition of these four-year-olds that have tons of them now, right? That have grown up in front of our eyes and become young, young adults now. And they're just smashing, right? The game and, the, and they're oh, yeah. like the new model of the iPhone versus some sort of like a Sony Walkman back in the day or something like that now. And uh, it's, it's incredible. I almost think that you need, well, let's talk about this. Your thoughts on the belt system in general. Oh, thank you for bringing that up. This is something that I feel the more I talk about it, the more that I think about it, the more God, I don't want to say stubborn, I feel like I'm getting, but I just don't see many other options. To me, the belt system, stripes and belts, are just meant to show progress. Dolfo, congratulations, you are progressing. In my eyes, I'm your coach, you are progressing. Mm-hmm. Here is your pat on the back. Here is something, you know, so if you have it that way, then you can have a college wrestler come in that obviously knows how to grapple and is probably going to smash your blue belts or at least get on top. Maybe we'll be able to submit them, but you know, it's going to dominate the role. Then the belts make sense for everybody, <laughs> right? Like, okay, you came in at a certain, a different point than I came in at a different point than that college wrestler came in and at a different mm-hmm. point than the 65 year old grandpa just came in, Absolutely. right? Like we have a 66 year old uh, gentleman that trains with us. It started when he was 60, sure. right? And like, do you expect him to go to purple belt worlds? And like, like, let's be real here, but is he progressing as a jujitsu person? Right. Absolutely. So I look at it as progression. 
And every stripe is, is progression. And it's me saying to you, hey, you've really done a great job. I think that the longevity of white to black belt in Brazilian jiu-jitsu is something that separates us and something that I encourage. So there's got to be some sort of time that goes by, right? Like I can't just see you hit a flying arm bar one day and be like, oh, here's a stripe. And the next day you, you hit a beautiful guillotine. And I'm like, oh, here's a stripe. Like that doesn't make a ton of sense to me. I think that that's how belts should be looked at. I don't believe that belts should be looked at in a way like, oh, this guy won white belt world. So therefore he's definitely not a white belt. Well, he might've won white belt world because he also is an Olympic wrestler, right? And they're cousins, mm-hmm. but we're talking about growth in Brazilian jiu-jitsu specifically. And so that's how I view it. And I know that's a, it's a little bit different than some people, but I, I love to hear additional arguments if you disagree. Oh, it sounds fascinating. I guess let's bring it back a little bit. What if it's just uh, the white belt that comes into your club that can smash all the blue belts in your club, not even competition-wise? Yeah. Just because that person can von flu everyone and they don't have much of anything else, should you immediately slap on a blue belt on them just because they can beat all the blue belts with their one von flu? Not to me, you know. Uh, it's not about, you know, because like, look, there's jujitsu, but inside jujitsu is athleticism. Inside jiu-jitsu is age. Inside jiu-jitsu is weight. All these things yeah. play a role. Right, <laughs> like, right. They absolutely do. And so, like, do you penalize people who weren't born with certain gifts and say, right. well, you, you can never be a blue belt. You can never be a purple belt because you're 45 years old and you've only played chess your whole life. It doesn't make a ton of sense to me. So additionally, what do we do with coral belts? Do you demote them? You know, because they can't beat all the, right. you know, these champion blue belts in your club anymore. It, it just, and the belt concept itself is so very subjective. So to even sort of logically make any sort of like foundational decisions on it is sort of weird in itself. But, but additionally, it's, it seems to be sort of, and I hate to say it, but sort of a business incentive also, like in terms of like, you're going to have student retention by giving out stripes and things. It's, it's just the, the proverbial carrot that people want to attain the next and next. I think it's a sound business decision to, to use these incentives as well. But I guess there needs to be some sort of moral compass behind it. Well, is it, and is it bad? Like, is it bad to have uh, make a sound business decision and also say, attaboy? Right? Like, those can go together, right? Like, and you're talking about intent, right? Like, if the intent is what I'm suggesting, then we can have this dialogue and somebody can get their black belt in six, seven years because the intent of that instructor, I know, you know, or, or whatever was not to promote for promotion's sake, but to show that this person's really improved. And maybe they were on the mat five days a week, two times a day. I don't know, right? Like I think there's outliers and everything, but ultimately it is going to be subjective. And it, it should be subjective because who are you to tell me what jujitsu means to me? But man, I don't know. I, it, it does bother me when people just give belts because they do good at tournaments. Mm-hmm. And I understand it. It's just mm-hmm. not my it's not my brand. And anybody that's affiliated with Gentle Art Lifestyle knows or will know or will come to know that promotion is because you're improving. And I think that I see it through your effort and your action. I see that you're improving. And therefore, I'm going to reward that. So you're touching on it there, Josh. Can you tell me what makes a great jujitsu student? The same thing that makes a great jujitsu leader, listening. <laughs> hmm. I think good students listen. They ask questions. It doesn't even need to be applicable. Like if it makes sense in their head, it didn't make sense to the instructor. Well, that's okay. 
kind of going back to one of my pillars, playful. The idea of playing allows us to bring in information without ego. And information without the blinder of ego is very valuable. The more of that valuable information that you can take in, the quicker that you'll learn. So do you see the most common issue with uh, students to be then lack of listening? And if not, what are they? And what's your advice to uh, address them? Never looked at it through a lens that would, well, I think there's bad students out there. I guess that, mm-hmm. that question doesn't resonate with me too much. Like, mm-hmm. uh, So then perhaps I, I, like the most common challenges? The most common challenge that I see is, that's so funny that I'm going to say this because I'm literally just finishing up my blog on this It's people believe that they should be better than they are on any given day. Their ego gets in the way and they're their own worst critic. We tend to, not only in jujitsu, but in life, think about things on a small, immediate scale. We get caught in immediacy, which is why we have challenges with anxiety mostly. When we're able to scale back and say, well, today is just a day and we're going to have bad days. And we're going to have good days and growth isn't on a, just a flat linear angle, right? It's, it's up and down and left and right. And there's so many other things that go into it. It's not just one analytical data point. Long story short, the biggest thing I see is we're our own worst critic. So would you say that that advice then too is sort of, and it's highly contextual, I'm sure that you would use for, for individuals who are going through slumps or plateaus in jujitsu? Oh yeah. So slumps and plateaus, my biggest, absolutely biggest thing is play. I know that those are different, but just play, go out and take out the ego because the plateau, you're comparing yourself to what you thought you were, Mm -hmm. or you're comparing yourself to what you think you should be. Mm -hmm. Just say, oh, well, maybe I don't know the best. Maybe I'm not even on a plateau. Maybe I just need to get better information or take in more information so I can learn even quicker. And to get that ego out of the way and stop being your own worst critic, that's, to me, what I found the best way to, to deal with those plateaus. What was your non-black belt level that was the toughest for you and why? Blue to purple because I was doing relatively well in competitions and like I beat up some of the purple belts at the gym or whatever, right? Like. I didn't know why I wasn't being promoted and it drove me insane. Like, why isn't this happening? And and also now I have different wisdom, right? But like then it was to the point where when I got my purple belt, I asked my instructor to not strike me. So I didn't even have to think about it. Like I didn't have to get that anticipation. I didn't, whatever. I said that really wasn't up to me. (laughs) Mm -hmm. So, you know, happy. I didn't have that problem, purple to brown or brown to black, but that was a real challenge that I had. Blue to purple is that that mental challenge of me thinking that I was deserving of something and like that was going to change anything. You know, now when I reflect back, it's kind of, I don't want to say silly, but because I know a lot of people share that. A lot of people have that same mentality. But as I have gained some wisdom in life, I look back on that as uh, quite the learning experience. Can you uh, tell me a time that you wanted to quit and why? Well, I did. I did quit for three and a half years. <laughs> I quit because... I wasn't the best in the room. I quit because I was getting beat up. I quit because I was a C, pardon my French. I quit because it was hard. Life happened. I was in college and I was trying to, I had to work through college and I, I had to pay my bills somehow and all that. Yeah. But could I have made it happen? Yeah. I had that. And then like that, there was a little bit of a gap in between Henry's, Henry Monomoros's and, and uh, John's. Henry's is the school I was at with, um, that was affiliated with uh, UWM. Came lazy. That's why I say everybody's journey is different. It's okay, right? Like find your jujitsu. And if you are struggling, we could talk to somebody or you can, you know, or take a week off. You don't have to put a ton of pressure on yourself. Everybody's journey is different. And that's where your journey is going to come that week, that month. It's okay. 
it's amazing that you came back to it and to see where you are now. Yeah. And multiple times I've kicked myself in the ass for not sticking with, or, or not wrestling in high school. <laughs> yeah. You know, I, I didn't wrestle in high school because I was my freshman year, I was five, three, 105 pounds. And the wrestling coach was my social studies teacher. And he's like, you want to come out? Because they, they had very few people to fill, uh, I think it was a 103 pound spot, right? Like sure. that's a pretty small person. But I, I was fearful of the seniors, these two senior wrestlers that were, you know, at that time, just giants, right? Like now they're oh, probably yeah. just whatever, mm-hmm. but they were giants. And I had to wear a singlet and I was super conscious of like, oh my God, like I have my skinny little legs and a singlet against these monsters. What in the hell? You know? <laughs> so I didn't, I didn't do that, but it was fear. Josh, I want to be uh, respectful of your time. Was there anything that you wanted to touch upon that we, we haven't touched on yet? We kind of alluded to it, but I'll say it in more of a blunt form. If you are a jiu-jitsu fan and you have not done a camp, a jiu-jitsu camp, whether it be a weekend camp like I put on or a globetrotter, a week-long like globetrotters where you're going to Iceland or Arizona or St. Bart's, whatever, do it. Because it will, in my opinion, bond you with the culture of jujitsu along with jujitsu itself. And once you're attached to the culture of jujitsu and you have friends that do it, you're more likely to stick with. And so if you can do a camp, do a camp. If you hate going to your gym because you hate the people there, go to a different gym, find the culture that fits you because that's the way you're going to stick with it. And if you don't stick with jujitsu, find your jujitsu. Find something to do that you can bond with people and it can be a tool for you to grow. That's great. Sage advice. Well, Josh, thanks so much. And where can the listeners get more information about you and what you have to offer? Yeah, absolutely. So I'll answer the what I have to offer. So gentleartlifestyle.com. Every once in a while, do an online private, but I don't particularly like that. I do coaching lessons. I am an online school that works in conjunction with other schools, especially schools that don't have maybe their own black belt or, you know, kind of a way to see their progress. And I do everything analytically. So I know how many times that you train per week. I give you lessons to work on. We have baselines. If you're not in the area or not near me, I ask you to video yourself roll. And then each month we do that. So I can break that down. So it's more personalized where you're actually involved with me. And if you don't need the promotion side of it uh, or affiliation side of it, then it's still coaching from a different perspective, which is always good. Mm-hmm. I also put on camps here in the Milwaukee area currently. It'll be four camps in 2022. The next one is coming up in February. It is another fire and water camp. And we have uh, some awesome instructors coming in. Again, Wim Hof Breathing and BJJ. So Gentle Art is the coaching affiliation in the camps. As far as videos on me, BJJ Globetrotters on YouTube. Uh, you can go to my YouTube. I don't post a ton on like YouTube, but on Instagram, if you ever have a question on anything, Joshua J underscore BJJ. I love answering questions, especially if you have bought my BJJ Fanatics video and you have questions about guillotine or application or something that happened. I love those types of questions. And that's kind of the best way to just randomly chat with me. Otherwise, you can sign up for the blog that I do. That gets posted about once every week. And that's just how I view jujitsu and that kind of stuff. And that's from gentleartlifestyle.com as well. Great. And make sure to check out Josh's BJJ Fanatic stuff, Guillotines 1 and 2. All right, everyone. Well, thanks so much for listening. And we will see you next time. Make sure to give us the five-star review on iTunes and the whole thumbs up, subscribe and the whole thing. Check out the swag at teespring.com forward slash forever dash white dash belt. Thanks so much. And Josh, thanks so much for your time.
Thank you for having me. Appreciate it.